0: Uh, the idea of gloco is this and uh as i worked with northwood um the story of gloco ventures uh, and if you haven't caught on yet gloco is just the combination of the word local and global yeah gloco okay uh and so the idea behind gloco is this that um as a person that we we live locally but we think globally all right And if I were to like uh, distill that down to a Christian, we make disciples that that live the love of Christ locally and globally. And so there is no longer this delineation here and there. Like the geographic distance between here and there has been closed through technology, through travel, through globalization. And so the idea of we going over there to be, you know, some big shot to do something, that's a very distant idea in the past. And so that's something that, uh, if you grew up in the church, that we need to learn because we have adopted an old way of doing things. Uh, as a matter of fact, businessmen don't function this way anymore. Like everything is all the same thing. And so, um, when we think about what is local, what we're saying is that we are in Toronto. We live, you know, in this neighborhood or in the neighborhood next door. And fortunately, we live in a very multicultural city, so we get it a little bit more. But we are rooted locally, but. Here's the, here's, here's the reality is that you can affect the other side of the world like this. Through Facebook, through technology, through travel. It is so easy for you to build a relationship with somebody who lives in Shanghai just as much as you could build a relationship with somebody who lives... Where we are? Where are we? Uh, St. Jamestown. And you can have just as much daily interaction with that person as you do with somebody in St. Jamestown. Because their world is strong, right? And so the idea of a global venture started out as one church in going, hesitantly going into a country that everybody kept telling them that they weren't allowed to go into. And so it was a story of a church that was very hesitant about going to a communist country. And eventually they kept going, they kept going, and they were very, they were filled with integrity. So everything they told the government they were going to do, they did. And eventually the government said, oh, why don't, you, why don't you help us figure out this religious stuff that we're trying to figure out? Our laws say that we're a religious free society, but our people don't know how to live that out. And so the church began to help them do that. The church, they asked, hey, we don't we can't figure out how to help our, our people in the mountains do microeconomics. You have some people that work for Fidelity, for all these other companies. Could they come over and just teach us some simple skills? The thing that I loved to see through GVI was this. Uh, At the University of Hanoi, the largest university institution in Vietnam, they uh, began developing special education curriculum, and they had absolutely no clue how to help children with autism. And so they began working with Northwood and other churches, and they were saying, hey, you have tons of people that specialize in autism. Can you do an annual conference? And so GVI helps to sponsor an annual conference at the University of Hanoi to teach Vietnamese teachers, about 300 every year, to work with children with autism, right? And so um, this is the idea that, hey, we don't, we don't have to like, just like, leave our skills here at home. We can, we can be just as effective anywhere around the world. And so what we've been thinking about as a church is this. Hey, we don't need to be a church of 100, 200, 300 in order for us to have an impact in the world. We can start today. As a matter of fact, later, if you wanted to, if you really wanted to, you can go home, find somebody in Beijing on Facebook, and friend them and build a relationship. Like you could do that. Twenty years ago, you couldn't do that. Isn't that crazy? Like you can meet somebody in Beijing today if you wanted to. Have you ever thought about that? Some of you single people have tried that. I know. <laughs> uh, don't you know? I wouldn't use that as a, a dating mechanism, but and so what we're doing at the end of the month is that we're saying we're focusing locally still. We're doing this thing called a a Glocal Gateway, and uh, what we're going to do is every week we're going to highlight an organization that helps us to focus working in our city, and then every week we're also going to talk about the opportunity to learn from GVI in Vietnam. Uh, And so it doesn't mean that we're going to focus on Vietnam as a church, but it does mean that we get a chance to learn from an organization that started out as a local church that wanted to impact a different part of the world. And so we're partnering with uh, these organizations, and so um, throughout the month we'll hear from Toronto City Mission, the K Club, Um, we'll talk about Regent Park events that Trinity Life does throughout the year, Freedom Fighters with Mike Fishoff, and then Deep Waters with... um, what's that kid's name again that dip water is uh man i can't it's slipping my mind right now oh minsu yeah minsu so um we've heard from minsu before and he'll he'll update us on how we can also be a part of his team uh and then uh a little bit more information about our vietnam missions trip i know it's coming up real quick all right so you need to pray really fast if you want to go Um, but by the end of the month, we'd like to assemble a team that will go with us. And this is the thing, like you may be like, I don't have anything to offer, it sounds expensive, but we need people with different kinds of skills. They're just kind of different ways to think. So we need quirky people as well, Uh, not just all these type A people, but we need someone who can help us learn from this organization of what we could do if God were to call us to a very difficult place. Okay, And so we'll spend about 10 days learning from them. It'll be their 20-year anniversary. We'll attend a conference uh, get to visit all their sites. And so that'll be May, May 18th through the 28th. If you have any questions, talk to uh, Mike and I, Michelle or Bruce, and we'll be glad to connect you uh, with more information. So if you can let us know by the 31st, preferably before then, um, I will give you all the information that we can. All right, man, I'm not even done through the first page of my notes. Um, so uh, we're gonna talk about uh, missions throughout the rest of this month. And if you grew up in church, Missions always look like um, you know, us sending a person or a team to a different part of the world and they would come back with pictures about all the things that they did. And, and in some ways, that's really cool. Um, but uh, to other people who are outside of the church or to some of your friends, that idea, that, that idea sounds very oppressive. It sounds very like colonialistic, right? As a matter of fact, one of the greatest arguments against Christian missions is that uh, for a long time, uh, the church, the Catholic church and other churches used the mission of the church to oppress people in different parts of the world, especially third world countries. Like, have you heard that before? Right? So kind of Christian colonialism. So there's a, this marriage between like Western European um, uh, ideals and then the church. And so that was exported to the world. And, and so I get that. Like, that's a very real like, argument. Um, and so I want to talk about like uh, real quick, I just want to pinpoint three things that Christian missions is not. Okay? Okay. Uh, number one is it is not the same as European colonialism, uh, because the movement started way before European colonialism. right It actually started as a peasant movement from the Middle East, right and so whenever somebody says to you, "Oh Christianity is about you know uh, spreading the ideas of the West and stuff like that, remember that you know before the West ever really was the West, it was a bunch of like peasant people meeting in homes. Talking, Mother Lord, right? Uh, number two is that it's not the same as economic globalization, um, and so uh, the the idea is sometimes uh, people are exploited for economic gain, those kinds of things. And even though that does happen uh, from time to time, uh, which you know it's not something that we condone, uh, Christianity has always been very successful at integrating the different classes. Always been very successful at integrating different classes, so it's not the same thing as uh, this uh, what we would see with like uh, companies going abroad and um, and wreaking havoc on certain parts of the world. Thirdly, is this? It's also not the same thing as just proselytizing and making converts. Okay, uh, Christian missions is not just making converts. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus Himself says this. He says, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites!" For you travel across the sea and land to make a simple proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's some harsh words from Jesus. He's like, I don't need you guys traveling all around the world to make converts. Because what you end up doing oftentimes is you make them worse than you are. Right? And so that is not the same thing as Christian missions as well. Uh, the reality is that Christian missions is a conglomeration of seeking peace and justice, but at the and that's going to be the, the fourth message in our series. How do we seek justice and peace? But the reality is this: that Christian missions, at the end of the day, says this that the only true transformation that can really align you with the God with uh, with, with God's purpose is that you would understand the transformation transformational power of the gospel. That um, transformation happens inside out. It's not something that's forced from the outside in. It happens because your motivations begin to change. Your affections towards the world and God begins to change. And so it's not something that's forced upon you. That's why uh, even in the kind of rational world, even if we were able to argue the existence of God, that doesn't make anybody any better because you can't force logic onto people anyways. And so the gospel becomes a different kind of motivation that it desires transformation from within first. And that transformation eventually leads to something real outside. And so we talk about at Training Life from, uh, over and over again that the gospel, the message that what Jesus has done, the life that he has lived, what you couldn't accomplish for yourself, really that grace that you've always wanted to be this person, that Jesus has already been that for you, and you rest in that. And that's the that's where the power comes for a new way of living. Now, if you're here with us for the first day, and I don't know, like I can't read everybody's face, I don't know, yeah, yeah. We got a good read in the room. If you're for the first time uh, today, and you've always heard about inside out transformation, you've ever wondered if it was true. Let me tell you it is. That if you ever have a chance to, to really have inside out transformation for yourself, don't just think about it. Run towards it. Like run towards that opportunity. I, so sometimes we do have to do this kind of like, you know, interview process where we're trying to figure out if this is good for you and all that stuff. It makes sense. It's good. Like, I mean, you know, that's how you date people and that's how you figure out if you're going to take this job or that job. But if there's a if there's an opportunity that presents itself to you that life change could truly happen to you, and it's not just this like if I change the outside, everything changes, but genuinely your heart changes, run towards that opportunity. That, and I want that to be our... Challenge for you. Um, As I was sitting down with uh, the the church leader uh, and talking about the book of Deuteronomy to them, I I told them like it was a second giving of the law, and this is the chance in which uh, the Israelites were going to fulfill the purpose that God had for them. I wish what I really would have said to them is this: the book of Deuteronomy really is about the idea that God not just works in previous generations, but God is working in this generation too. That is the whole point of the book of Deuteronomy. That God is at work in this generation. Yes, those guys that gave birth to you, your parents. God did some tremendous things. But God is interested in doing tremendous things with you in your generation right now. And so as uh, we were reading earlier, the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy is Moses standing before a second generation of people. Have you guys seen the movie Exodus yet? No? Okay. I won't ruin for you, but it's in the Bible if you want to read the, (laughs) the clip notes. So, uh, if you know anything about the book of Exodus, that was, you know, I mean, uh, Christian Baal, eh. Uh, so, uh, um, but this is, this is 40 years, 40 years after the scene where they leave Egypt and cross the Red Sea, right? So, 40 years. Now, this is what happened. Moses had to wait until all the old people died for various reasons that he explained. Uh, part of it is because they just didn't want to do it. They were stubborn, Right. So literally, he had to wait till all the old people died. Um, everybody that was above the age of um, 20 died off. That's why they were in the desert for 40 years. And so now he had a fresh crop of people, somewhat fresh. And so he was talking to them, and he was saying, Hey, guys, you know what uh, God promised to Abraham? And then what he said to Moses, or me, Moses, what he said to me um, is valid for you as well. It's just not for the, the experience of God is valid for you as well, not just for those who were a generation ago. And so that's what he's trying to, that's what he's trying to get these people to think. It's kind of a pep talk. What they realize is that they have to go and take the land. And so he's kind of like giving them the locker room speech. Like, you guys can do this, right? Right. Uh, and he's reminding them that the promises that we've heard about ever since we were a little kid. And if you know any Jewish people, they hear from when they're real small about the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And imagine hearing those stories. And now uh, your leader is saying to you, guys, we get to fulfill that promise that we've always grown up hearing about. It's us, right? And so Moses is trying to instill this excitement inside of them. Um, uh, Old Testament theology, uh, uh, scholar Christopher Wright, this is what he says. He says, geographically, historically, theologically, Deuteronomy is a book on the boundary, speaking powerfully through the ages to every generation of God's people, called to move across the ever-shifting boundary from past experience into future unknown circumstances. And what, what uh, Christopher Wright is saying is this, That God does not want his people to just reminisce about what he used to do. How I remember when that person changed their life around. Oh, that's great. I wonder how they're doing. They must be 80 by now, right? The book of Deuteronomy is that God is always pushing the boundary. And every time he pushes the boundary, he's saying, now cross it. He pushes the boundary. Now cross it, right? It's this ongoing goal. And every generation gets to participate, Church, in 2015, this is, this is me giving us our pep talk. We must move on. We have to take the next step. We must move on. Daniel, what's the next step? Well, I don't know, but we must move on. In some ways, that's kind of the tension that Moses is presenting. And this is our tension that we live in. God has called us, listen to this. We live in Toronto, but we weren't made just for Toronto. And so God is saying, we need, to move, we need to cross borders. We need to cross boundaries. Sometimes we need to overstep boundaries. We need to step into the unknown. Stop living off past experiences. Um, you know, this is an overused sermon illustration, but it proves the point. It's kind of like a relay race, right? And we're running. And, uh, you know, imagine like Mike and I were running a relay race and um, so Mike, you're a faster runner than me. Uh, So I'm running to catch up with Mike and Mike is kind of doing this thing with me like this. Eventually he's kind of bored with me, so he just like he's playing around and stuff like that. And I just kind of give up and I'm just like, man, dude, are you gonna give it to me or not? If you're not gonna give me, I'm not gonna run this race, right? And so there's this idea that you can be the generation that really passes off the baton cleanly and neatly and nicely because you're serious about the race, you're serious about the mission, or you can be the two fools that are just playing around and they don't really care about the race, and the baton never gets passed. And so Moses is saying, guys, let's make it a clean transition. Right? Moses saying, we're it, guys. This is it. The promise that we've always heard. We're it. And here's the gift that's been given to the church. You don't, you don't ever have to wonder as a young person, old person, if you were ever a part of the it generation. Because in Christ, you are. You are it. We are it. We just have to awaken to that, right? So um, the first generation rebelled because of fear. Moses is giving his pep talk to the next generation. He's trying to talk down their fear. And he's reminding them that if you are faithful, God can do in you what he wants to do in the world. If you are faithful, God will do in you what he wants to do in the world, right? Uh, Look at verse six. I just love Moses' verbiage here. He says, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. For some of us, you, you've been waiting way too long at the foot of this mountain, and your situation isn't changing. You hope that it'll change, and you think if you wait long enough, it'll change. Right, I don't know who said this. I think it's Einstein or something like that. He says, insanity is this, doing the same thing every over and over again, expecting change, right? And Moses is saying, guys, you've been, you've been huddled around this mountain for about 40 years now. <laughs> Maybe we should do something new, right? And before we start talking about changing the world, let's just talk about changing you real quick. What have you been sitting on that you should have been proactive about? You know, there's a disease called, um, uh, don't quote me, and, and we do have a few doctors in the room, so as a matter of fact, don't quote me. But I heard from somebody that there's a disease called passive schizophrenia, where um, it's the idea that, like, you're accomplishing things in your head, <laughs> but it's really not being accomplished in reality. And so Moses is saying, hey, 40 years in your head is not a way to live. There needs to be some action now. All right. Uh, it's time that you go. You've stayed long enough in this holding pattern. You've been undecided way too long. You have all that you need, and now you just have to actually get up and go. Get up and do this thing. Get up and make that decision. I always say that if you have 75% of the information, that's pretty darn good to make a decision on, all right? So if, unless you're a perfectionist, that's just sinful at that point, but... um Do you know what it's called when you don't do something that God's been putting on your heart to do for a long time? Disobedience, right? Disobedience turned what was supposed to be an 11-day journey from Mount Horeb, which is right around Saudi Arabia, to Kadesh Barnea, which is the entry point into the Promised Land. It was about um, an 11-day journey from here to about here. They could have made that in 11 days, but it was because of their disobedience that the 11 days turned into 40 long, painful years. That's what disobedience will do for you. It'll take something that was supposed to be easy. Yeah, not painless, but relatively fast and quick, and it will... Prolong it. And think about this in terms of, especially those, we have a a few new parents. Yes. Somebody had a baby today. I'm not at liberty to say, but they had a baby today. Yay. Uh, When you're building the culture in your home, when you're building a culture in your home, right, the culture that you want to see happen, develop in your house, in your community, if you are not acting If you're not action-based, the culture that you want to see build in your home will never happen. You have to be proactive about how you want to see your household developed. You have to be proactive in how you want to relate to your spouse, to your child, to your neighbors. You have to dictate that uh, to some degree. And so the idea of that I'll wait until, I'll wait until, maybe things will get better. Maybe things will change. It's very difficult for God to use that kind of personality. It's not impossible. It's just a matter of 11 days versus 40 years. All right. And so um, I'm not saying being type A. I'm just saying if the Lord's put something on your heart that you haven't worked on yet, are you okay with being disobedient? If not, it's time to move to action. Later, he says this uh, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. This is the first generation making an excuse of why they weren't going to step into the promised land and fulfill God's global plan. Uh, number one, is say, because the Lord hated us. Okay, God, you're doing this to me. Ah, you must hate me. right? Uh, and so that's, you know, first thing is usually we blame God. Okay, So if God is good, then why has he allowed this to happen to me? All right. And then we blame other people. Our brothers have made our hearts melt. They came back and they said, there were giants in that land and I can't fight a giant. I'm only, you know, a uh, bricklayer. And so how am I supposed to fight a giant? And so fear, negative rumors, ex- uh, excuses, these are the things that delay the promises of God. If you haven't figured it out already. Um, the things that release the promise of God, what we say identity and destiny into your life is hearing God's voice, trusting it and obeying it. The things that delay it in your life are fear, negativity, and excuses. I love God's response, right? He says this in um, uh, the next couple of verses. He says, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God goes before you. He himself will fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt, before your eyes and in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. As a, in, in the NIV, it says, as a father carries his son. All the way here. That's how God will go with you when you make the decisions for the hard things. Church, if we, if we become a global church, one that loves Toronto, but one that loves the world, we will never ever have to worry about, do, I, do we have enough resources, Okay. God will always give us enough resources to fulfill our purpose and mission in any part of the world, right? So we say we want to go to Vietnam in May. Automatically, uh, 80% of you guys thought, how much does that cost? Okay. The reality is not everybody can go. Not everybody should go. But for those of us who are, are going to carry this vision of what does it mean to be a global church, one that's rooted in Toronto but loving the world, God will provide. Remember my story from last week? How if you seek first the kingdom of God, you'll never be butt naked, you'll never be hungry. It doesn't mean you're going to get a $20,000 check, but it means that God will always provide. Um, Tyler, God will always provide. we got some missionaries in the room, so God will always provide. Um... You can trust, guys, you can spend time, you can spend money, you can take vacation and, and spend it on the purpose of God and never worry if, you don't have to worry if you're spending enough time on yourself necessarily. If you're properly, appropriately listening to God's voice and he's saying, go, go, take the next step, take the next step. You don't ever have to worry if he's gonna show, just like a father carries his son to the finish line. That's how God is carrying our church. That's how God's carrying you. We can go anywhere. If we wanted to go to Iran, right? We shouldn't be afraid, right? <laughs> Nick like, well, I want to tell you a couple of stories about when I grew up in Iran, all right? But God will carry us, all right? This is not prosperity gospel, health, wealth, and gospel. This is the book of Deuteronomy. He will carry us if we move forward in obedience, right? It takes one man's obedience to release God's promise to the world. We saw this in Abraham. We're seeing this in Moses. Paul explains that ultimately you see this in Jesus. And he says this in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And he's referring to the cross. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is why I know that like Christian missions is not Western colonialism, and it's just not like oppressing culture onto other people. It's because I was a Gentile. For the most part, most of us are Gentiles in the way that the Bible talks about it. And when the gospel came to my people, it was such a freeing message. My people, the Hmong, we lived in oppression. Like we had rituals that we had to carry out and demons that we had to appease and ancestors that we had to light incense to. And some of your parents still do that, right? And when the message of the gospel came to our people and it transformed our leaders and it transformed our villages, it wasn't that we're like, oh, now let's drink Starbucks and, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, change our clothes. And it was, no, it was this tremendous amount of freedom that came to the villages that first heard Christ. In the mountains of Vietnam is one of the fastest Jesus movements in the world. Back in the 90s, there were a couple of 10,000s uh, of, of, of believers. In 20 years, they went from like 10,000 believers to about 700,000 believers in those mountains. Just think about that. Like, you've never seen that happen, right? None of them are saying, oh, now we want to, can you install a McDonald's in our, like, mountain? None of them are saying that. They just live an incredibly free life, right? Freedom in Christ. So, a lot of time. Um, Can I say this? So, um, the first generation lived in disobedience, and that's what caused the tension between fulfilling it in them versus the second generation. And I'll say this, that as a church, it's very important that our integrity, your integrity, is the best thing that you have to offer to the world right? As an American, and we're learning this, because it's hard to travel around the world now as an American, okay? Your integrity is the best thing you have to offer around the world. Who we are here in Toronto matters uh, when we go to Pakistan, Iran, uh, Vietnam. It matters so much, right? It, what we do here in Toronto what we do here in the K Club, we do with other organizations that we're partnered with, that brings it a level of integrity that allows us to comfortably enter into another country and say, hey, we're we're not here to overthrow any kind of government. We're just here to love you, and we're not even here to offer answers. We're here to build relationships. We just wanna be friends. We're not here to overtake your country or anything like that. We just wanna be who we are next to you. Are you okay with that, All right. Your integrity counts. The test of leadership uh, in any kind of organization is not skill, by the way. The people that lead the, the most important influential organizations are not the smartest people. For the most part, they're the people with the most integrity. The moment they lose their integrity, what happens? Organizations typically fall apart. All right. So what we can do, the best thing that we can do in order to make an impact around the world is to continue to do what God's called us to do and focus here and begin building relationships in other parts of the world so that God can use the same integrity that we have here to begin to impact people on the other side of the world. I'm going to end it with this. Ben, you guys can come up. Uh, the, the other passage that uh, was read earlier is called the Jewish Shema. Uh, can you guys say Shema? Shema, yeah, okay. It just means here, uh, And uh, this is uh, uh, Moses saying to the people, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Jewish people know something about social transformation. They know that it's rooted in the individual's heart because that's how they were taught ever since they were small. So they know that if you don't have the right heart, you will never see the kind of social transformation that you pretend to want, this is true because you can only multiply what's in your heart. You can be slick on the outside, but if your heart is rotten on the inside, that's all you multiply. And so the Jews, they came up with this, because this is what God is uh, saying through uh, Moses in this statement is this, the Lord your God is one. He's saying this, that I am one over everything. You can't compartmentalize me. I'm not a God of your finances and a God of your relationships, but I'm, I'm not the God of your future. And so back in the ancient Near East, that's how they thought about gods. They had fertility gods. They had other kinds of gods. And God is saying, no, 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 that's not me. You can't compartmentalize me. I am one over everything. I demand your very best affection. And I want to start our series with with this, that if we ever want to make a difference in Toronto, in this neighborhood that we're in, wherever God's calling us to, one day, whether it be Vietnam, Pakistan, Iran, whatever it is, that God is just as concerned about your heart and where you are as He is about the people on the other side of the world. He wants to deal with your heart. He wants to know that He's got your heart first. He says, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because it's only that kind of heart, it's only that kind of transformation that's useful to the world anyways any other kind of motivation is just ambition and ambition wanes ambition doesn't love people jesus stood on a, on a, yeah sound effects jesus stood on a mountain very similar to moses this is after he had gave his life for god's mission and he stood in the mountain just like moses and he looked at his disciples and he said hey go go into all the nations and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm with you till the end of the ages. Trinity life, we got to go. We've got to go. We can't stay. We can't stay at this mountain. We've got to go. And so as God begins to speak to us about what is going mean, our response must be yes. It can't first be how much of our, our finances. That could be a third question, or I'll give you that. But it can't be our first question. When God says, Trinity life, go here, what should our answer be? It's got to be yes. If you don't say yes, what could be 11 days? It might turn out to be 40. Some of y'all might die, okay? <laughs> Mike and that would be pretty old. We might miss it. You know, like Moses, and then like our kids have to do it. If that's the case, that's okay. But I just, I don't want to miss out on what God wants to do. Let's pray. God, um, I'm just, it's all one message. It's just all one thing. You want to multiply your heart out to us as individuals so that the nations can reflect your heart. God, if we walked into this space today, not ready to deal with ourselves, yet that's what you want to do is you want to prod us. Be gentle, but Lord, be firm with us. Lord, if we live in fear about the unknown, that you may call us to do the impossible, that a church of 70, 80 people, that you might actually call us to engage in a part of the world that the news says we shouldn't go to, God, what, what do we do in that situation other than obey? God, you've given us relationships in the city that we have enjoyed. People that are on the front lines of making a difference with the marginalized. God, how can we but obey and move forward with these opportunities? I pray that this month, rather than just learning, that you would make us into a church of action. That we would sign up. That we would volunteer. That we would give. That we would go. So, Jesus, when you sit on that mountain and you talk to your disciples and said, go and and make disciples of God, we would hear that just as fresh as they did. We would hear it. We would trust it. We would obey. We pray these things in Christ's name.